Let me invite you now to grab a Bible and open it to uh, 1 Corinthians 11, and I'll read from that in just a moment. But one quick thing I wanted to mention, um, just to address this, or to continue to address, and I plan to for a long time, um, the turbulence that we see around us and all of the, uh, the frightening things that have erupted of late. Um, guys, I made a statement several weeks ago, and I want to reiterate pretty much that same statement with just a different little emphasis. I said that our, our response is going to be somewhat threefold. Um, first of all, we're going to continue to preach the gospel. Uh, ultimately, the heart of man is the issue. Um, and until the heart is changed, nothing will change. So uh, the message of Jesus saves is what we will continue to preach with clarity and, and faithfulness, we hope. Secondly, the whole idea of sharing our resources. We hope to share more of our resources with the under-resourced communities. And then, but finally, the, the third prong of this had to do with um, investing ourselves in terms of time and involvement with the benevolent ministries that exist around our city. And, and so now, that's the emphasis, guys. Um, don't sit home and curse the darkness. Why don't you uh, light a point of light? We have numerous ministries of which we are a part as a church. They're all outlined in that little bookcase thing. Uh, ministries such as Arise to Read and Neighborhood Christian Center and uh, Advance Memphis. And there are numerous others that might really turn your crank. So instead of fretting about how bad things have gotten and are getting, how about, how about throw yourself at something? So stop by that little collection out there and see if there's something that would really interest you. And let's, um, let's take some of those energies that we have to express our disgust and let's start expressing them in terms of involvement. Involvement in trying to reduce the needs and the injustices and the illegalities that exist all around us. How about that? That's, that's something that we want to continue to, to broadcast. Now, uh, let me read to you. Um, I think you know that the uh, Lord's Supper is mentioned several places in the New Testament. Uh, there are also words of institution that are found in the book of 1 Corinthians uh, in chapter 11. The words of institution are after what I'm going to read. I'm, I'm going to read you the paragraph that uh, is right above the words of institution for the Lord's Supper. And uh, they read like this. You follow. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place... When you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you might be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? 
No, I will not. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. As you might have noticed in what I read, <laughs> Paul is not happy with the Corinthian church. There are the, the whole book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is dealing with various problems that exist in the, in the Corinthian church, but the particular one, the specific one that he's addressing here is having to do with the mess that they have made of the Lord's Supper. Um, that's, uh, that scene that he's describing, there, there, there wasn't a whole lot of brotherhood uh, on brotherly love, you know, on display in the Corinthian church when they partook of the Lord's Supper. You know, when I read that, uh, it reminded me of uh, a, a story in the Old Testament where there's not a whole lot of uh, brotherly love on display either. In fact, there's the complete absence of brotherly love. Um, it's the story about Joseph. You remember that? Joseph had several brothers, and they were all the, the sons of Jacob. And, and Joseph was the favored son. He's the one that had the multicolored coat. And all of his brothers envied him. And so one day, while they were out tending sheep, and Joseph kind of comes to see them, they decide, why don't we kill him? Let's just kill him. A lot of brotherly love there, huh? And so uh, they throw him into a pit. And then one of the brothers steps forward and said, no, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. So that's what they do. They end up selling him into, and I guess we're supposed to celebrate that because they were going to kill him, but they end up selling him into slavery, into this caravan that's going down to Egypt. And so there Joseph goes, sold into slavery uh, by his own brothers. And uh, as you know, as the story unfolds after several years, Joseph, the tables get turned and Joseph ends up as the number two man in all of Egypt, right next to Pharaoh, in the midst of a regional or perhaps even global famine. And so everybody's starving. So Joseph's family, who are up in Canaan, decide, well, we hear there's some grain down in Egypt. And so they, they get themselves together and go down to Egypt to buy some grain. Uh, and as they attempt to buy it, they are standing in front of, unbeknownst to them, this God before whom they stand, this God with a little g, the man who has their destiny in his own hands, is their own brother that they do not recognize. And so um, uh, Joseph cooks up a scheme. He devises a plan uh, to see what his brothers will do. He, he hopes that that through this plan, these brothers might begin to display some brotherly love. And so he sells them the grain, but uh, he says, I don't believe part of your story, so I'm going to keep Simeon here. So you go back home, get your youngest brother that you told me about, that's not with you, bring him back and we'll sell you some more, but I'm not selling you any more grain until you bring the younger brother back. So the brothers go home, they tell their daddy, Jacob, you know, uh, you know, that we can't have any more grain until Benjamin goes and, and daddy says, I ain't doing that. But of course, as they get hungrier, uh, he changes his mind and Benjamin goes with them. And so they go back to Egypt. They appear before this same man who is their brother. He sells them the grain, uh, gives them Simeon 
gives Simeon back to them. And, but uh, in his so doing, he has his servants sneak his magic or his sacred cup of divination into the bag of grain that is Benjamin's. So they get out of town about a mile or so. And, and so Joseph's servants come track them down and say, wait a minute. One of you have stolen my, my master's sacred cup. So now we have grain, bread, and uh, a wine cup involved in this story. And they all say, wait a minute, we didn't steal that cup. No, sir, and the man in who, uh, who, who stole it needs to die. They open up all the baskets, and of course, it's in Benjamin's. And they are overcome with grief, but in the midst of their grief, Judah um, goes back to appear before Joseph and offers his own life in the place of his younger brother, Benjamin. And at that, Joseph breaks down and reveals who he really is. Because finally, at least one of the brothers has acted like a brother. Judah has offered his life in the place of one of his brothers. And so all of the sons of Israel are saved. Um, finally, there's a little bit of brotherly love amongst Joseph's brothers. Guys, that story in the Old Testament is a story about the sin of some brothers. A story that includes bread and a cup. And in that story, we find that there's one man who is willing to lay down his life for the others. And that one man comes from the tribe of Judah. So what Paul, you see, is teaching the Corinthians here is that factions and class and artificial distinctions of any kind is the very opposite of brotherly love, of brotherhood. And this bread and this cup in this sacrament is to remind us of the one man who came from the tribe of Judah, whose body was broken and his blood was shed, so that we might be saved and become one. Jesus wasn't just willing to die. He did die. Judah, you see, offered to die, but was delivered. Jesus offered to die, and he was crucified. Why? So that undeserving people like us could have forgiveness of sin and be brought into the same family around the same common Savior, and so the idea of factions and divisions and separations at this table? Why? That's utterly unthinkable.
So, my brother and sister, you really are, you know, my brother and sister. My brother and sister in Christ, come, let's enjoy this sacrament together and remember what it is that made us one. Let's come and enjoy our commonality in Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father, would you meet us here this morning? Would you, um, would you remind us of what it is that has set us free from our bondage, the famine of our souls, and has made us into one body, one people, all with the same Savior? We differ, O oh God, in so many ways, but the one thing we have in common is Christ, who is portrayed to us in these elements this morning. Would you remind us of the sacrifice that made us into a family? We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.